Oh man, what a great looking audience. Hey, tell me, why didn't the zombie cross the road? Because he didn't have the guts. <laughs> What's a zombie's favorite shampoo? Head and shoulders. Hey oh. Why didn't the zombie kid want to go to school? Because he felt rotten. <laughs> Episode 4, A Zombie's Rise in Popularity I thought dad jokes would be a good way to ease into an episode devoted entirely to the undead. I've said it before, I want young and old to enjoy and take away something from every episode. With that being said, the following however many minutes are about zombies. So if you think your little ones may get upset by stories, the occasional sound effect, or imagery that I hope to convey through words, maybe pop some headphones in or wait until later to listen. If your little ones think zombies are cool, turn it up louder. Alright, ready? Let's begin. As a child of the 80s, I always liked monsters and scary movies, but I grew up in a time when zombies pretty much stayed underground. There wasn't a lot out there, so I never really thought of myself as a fan exactly. I think I remember the Nintendo game Ghosts and Goblins depicting zombies, but they weren't the stars by any means. My dad loved the Evil Dead movies, but that was like 5% zombie, 95% demonic possession, and I wasn't allowed to watch them anyway. There was also Thriller, which is incredible. I had a Michael Jackson doll in the Thriller outfit. That was pretty cool. I actually just found the red coat, sparkly socks, and shoes in one of my old junk boxes. That means there's a partially naked MJ doll in a landfill somewhere. The 90s is when my love of everything undead really bloomed. Although I could mostly hide it from my peers, I was a video game nerd in high school, before it was cool to be one. That's right, kids. I couldn't just power up my computer, open up YouTube, and livestream myself playing games for the world to see. And if I had been able to, it wouldn't have been accepted like it is in the billion-dollar industry of today. Plus, my computer would have crashed every time my mom needed to use the phone. In 1994, I graduated from Nintendo and Sega Genesis to PlayStation. PlayStation 1. Actually, it didn't even have a number, it was just PlayStation. In 1996, our friends in Japan sparked a zombie revival by introducing bloodthirsty American teens to two separate mega-successful video game franchises, Sega's House of the Dead and Capcom's Resident Evil. House of the Dead, at the time, was an arcade shooter. I'd have to go to Livonia Mall to play that one. Resident Evil, however, I could play in the comfort of my dark and spooky basement by myself until all hours of the night. I will spare you my in-depth review of my second favorite video game of all time and just let you know that it single-handedly sparked the love I have for zombies still to this day. That's right. It all started with Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, and the rest of the STARS team as they tried to make sense of what the Umbrella Corporation had unleashed upon Raccoon City. STARS stands for Special Tactics and Rescue Service. Dude, you just promised to spare them. Oh, right. Sorry. 
Due to the success of the games I mentioned above, zombie films became all the rage in Japan. It would take a little longer for the infection to spread to the United States. Capcom released two or three more Resident Evil games into the early 2000s, and I still played them religiously, but as a maturing young adult, my gaming time was being forcefully stripped from me. I switched gears and started taking in zombie movies, as well as graphic novels. Much more high society. First came Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later in 2002. He decided to take the already horrifying concept of zombies and make them faster and more recently turned. Gone were the days of seeing Aunt Ethel, who died some 20 years earlier, stumble towards you with her arms outstretched. Now we had Aunt Ethel, whom you just had tea with the day before, sprinting after you with the speed of a cheetah. And whatever turned Aunt Ethel into a zombie could be in the air, in the drinking water, or already inside of you, waiting to mutate. Shaun of the Dead followed two years later and made zombies hilarious while still disturbing. Could you whack your neighbor in the head with a shovel or chuck your record collection at them? Simon Pegg and Nick Frost did, and it was awesome. There was a Dawn of the Dead remake. They turned both Resident Evil and House of the Dead into movies. Even George Romero got all excited about the revival and turned out a few more of the Dead movies himself. In the late 2000s, I became a stay-at-home dad, which opened up more video game time for me. Talk about incredible timing. New games like Dead Space, hello marriage of my favorite two genres, Left 4 Dead, and Dead Rising were insanely popular, and I pumped hours of time into every one of them. I couldn't go see movies as often in the theater, but luckily Blockbuster gave me the chance to rent movies, like 28 Weeks Later, I Am Legend, and Zombieland. That was also around the same time that I stumbled upon Max Brooks's amazing books, World War Z and The Zombie Survival Guide along with Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead graphic novels. Side note, if you've never read World War Z, do yourself a favor. In fact, if you have any extra Audible credits, purchase the audiobook version. The book tells the story of a zombie outbreak from the perspective of numerous individuals spread across the globe. The cast from the audiobook includes Mark Hamill, Nathan Fillion, Paul Servino, Carl Reiner, Martin Scorsese, Simon Pegg, Henry Rollins, Cal Penn, John Turturro, Alan Alda and a ton more. Image Comics began publishing The Walking Dead in 2003, so I had some catching up to do. That was made easier due to when they started putting a few issues into one bigger book. I have quite a collection of them that are stashed away in my basement. Sometimes I open the box and weep with happiness. The Walking Dead graphic novels were important zombie life moment number two, with the first Resident Evil video game being moment number one. Moment number three came about a week ago. We're getting there. Despite my frequent requests not to, my children grew older. That's sad on two levels. One, just being a parent and watching your kids age is super tough. Two, they have things like school and sports and dance. Any me time was severely cut back. So between 2010 and 2012, there was a bit of a break from all things zombie for me. As my kids got a little bit older, however, the door creaked open once again. My son and daughter loved Scooby-Doo. Who doesn't? I bought a bunch of Scooby-Doo DVDs for the kids to watch, one of which was 1998 Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. They loved it. The zombie gene lied within both of them. I was so proud. We watched Paranorman, The Corpse Bride, Frankenweenie, 
And then we found even more age-appropriate zombies in video games like Minecraft and Plants vs. Zombies. I even got a little bit of daddy zombie time with the release of the movie version of World War Z starring Brad Pitt. <sighs> and the video game series Call of Duty introducing zombie mode. I'd be remiss in not mentioning the Walking Dead series on AMC. The show that made zombies popular with non-zombie loving folk. It was painful to watch grown adults breaking down each episode on social media platforms that they'd ruined for college kids. Plus, as a bigger fan of the graphic novels, I didn't like what the show got wrong. I liked Lori in the comics, hated her in the series, and Carl. Ugh. Still, I watched the first few seasons fairly regularly, sometimes needing to binge half a season on DVR. Truthfully, I sort of got burned out on it. Kirkman began writing The Walking Dead with the idea that there really was no ending. TV viewers, historically, need a clean-cut ending. That can never happen. AMC killed off characters season after season, and while they got that part right, they then quickly ushered in new characters that they wanted you to suddenly care about. Just one of Kirkman's comics could be entirely devoted to giving you a new character's backstory. They didn't have time for that in the television series. Still, it was great to see zombies become popular again, and eventually my son started watching the series, and I've gotten back into it here and there myself. I find it to be more enjoyable the more distance I put between me and the graphic novels. Hollywood has sort of taken a break from zombie films as they follow the fickle trends of the consumer. For a while, they were going with zombie romance, which I never fully understood. Oh no, my girlfriend got bitten. I'll stay with her until she turns to comfort her. Oh, she turned. I should kill her, but I can't kill her. I love her. Maybe she could somehow learn to love me still. Nope. She bit me. Darn. Please, don't twilight my zombies. The Disney Channel attempted to make zombies hip with mild success in the last couple of years, but that has gone away almost as quickly as it came. So it's the 2020s now. The zombie genre is experiencing another lull. What do we do? Where can a Z-head go to find solace? The answer, my friends, is back to the beginning. Let's learn about where the idea of zombies came from. Together, we can hold hands if you're scared. Take the journey with me, won't you? Okay, before we get into how zombies made their way onto our great-grandparents' movie screens, let's go even further back in time. As we've discussed in previous episodes, every culture and society seems to come with its own set of mythology and folklore. Zombies are included in this. China, Norway, Poland, India, Haiti, Germany. All of those places have their own zombie-type beings in their storytelling. In folklore, you'll see the word revenant quite a bit. A revenant is an animated corpse that is believed to have revived from death to haunt the living. The word revenant is derived from the old French word, revenant which means the returning. See also the related French verb revenir, meaning to come back. One example comes to us from China in the form of the Zhangxi, or Chinese hopping zombie. Let that image sink in for a moment. One of the first mentions of the Zhangxi came around 1790. Apparently, these zombies hop around with their arms outstretched, looking to absorb their victim's life force. It's said that Zhangxi were created via ritual by a Taoist priest in order to help get the body of a deceased person home when families couldn't afford transport. 
So if I'm understanding this correctly, someone would die hundreds of miles away from their family. The family would then travel by foot to wherever the body was at. The priest would perform the ritual, bringing said body to life, which would then hop along home so that no one had to carry him or her, and then hopefully you had enough cash left to pay the priest to undo it, or else your deceased relative would just roam the earth, hopping around, sucking up souls. In Hong Kong, movie studios made truckloads of cash in the 80s and 90s with a run of Jiangxi films. Another example, the Draugr, also known as Aptaganga, or a Ginwalker, is a Scandinavian undead creature. This thing was said to be strong, gross-looking, and smelly. They're known for guarding their own tombs from grave robbers and scaring the ever-loving Lutfisk out of even the strongest of Vikings. The Draugr were more corporeal ghosts than full-on zombies, but the idea of rising from the dead is still there. This idea, whether fact or fiction, started back around the 800s. We could even go back to Mesopotamia, around 700 BC, when the goddess Ishtar threatened. If you do not open the gate for me to come in, I shall smash the door and shatter the bolt. I shall smash the doorposts and overturn the doors. I shall raise up the dead, and they shall eat the living, and the dead shall outnumber the living. That little passage is carved into stone. It's gotta be real, right? But to find out how zombies work their way into our hearts and homes, we need to travel to Haiti for the answer. The word zombie was first mentioned in a book written by William Seabrook. His life story is wild enough that he should have his own episode. Heck, there should be a movie made about his life. Chances are you've never even heard of him. A journalist and adventurer, Seabrook joined the American Field Service of the French Army in 1915, serving as an ambulance driver in World War I. He was 31. In 1916, his camp was hit by a chlorine gas attack. He was awarded a medal for bravery and sent home. He worked for the New York Times and wrote articles for various well-known magazines before turning his attention to writing books. In 1917, he wrote a book entitled Diary of a Section 8, where he told stories from his time in the war. In 1919, he invited famed English occultist Aleister Crowley to spend a week with him. He used portions of those conversations in a book he'd write some 20 years later called Witchcraft, Its Power in the World Today. His fascination with the occult sent him to Arabia in 1924. The stories he gathered there became 1927's Adventures in Arabia. In the early 1930s, he and a few others traveled in a French aircraft that was basically the equivalent of those early Wright Brother airplanes that you see. They flew from Paris to Timbuktu, where he met a disgruntled, defrocked ex-monk who gave him a stack of rare documents. He wrote all about that fun little trip in two different books called Air Adventures and The White Monk of Timbuktu. This guy is wild. Yeah, we're not done yet. In 1933, he checked himself into a mental institution, on purpose, and stayed there for around eight months, publishing his experiences in the 1935 best-selling book entitled Asylum. In 1945, he died, also on purpose. I'll just leave it at that. He wrote a bunch of other books during his career, two of which had to do with various religious practices in third world countries, 1929's The Magic Island and 1930's Jungle Ways. Let's focus on The Magic Island because that's the book that gave us zombies. I'll attempt to sum the book up as quickly as possible for you. Side note, I will say if you're into this kind of stuff at all and you've never read any of his works, they're free to read at archive.org, the home of the Internet Archive. 
I will also warn and remind you that those were very different times back then, and some of the language used is not, and truthfully never has been, appropriate. So basically our friend Seabrook had a formula for writing his books. He'd find an exotic location, travel there, get to know the locals, get all the dirt on the dark and forbidden stuff, have the locals warn him not to seek out the forbidden stuff, and then promptly plop himself right in the middle of it. I've always marveled at journalists and reporters who entrench themselves in wars and riots. He was sort of like that, but with voodoo and dark magic. This was the case with the Magic Island. He traveled to Haiti and got cozy with a few locals, embedded himself into some serious voodoo rituals, and somehow lived to tell the tale. We learn in the book that the word zombie, without the E, is thought to be of West African descent, brought to Haiti by African slaves. The word then worked its way into the Haitian religious practice of voodoo. Seabrook would stay up late with his new friend Constance Polonese, discussing tales of vampires and witches and werewolves, until finally he asked if Constant knew anything about the term zombie. Boy, did Constant know some stuff. Constant told Seabrook about a story that had taken place a few years before involving the Haitian American Sugar Company, or HASCO. They were offering bonuses to any employee who could bring in new workers to help. That's where a foreman named Ty Joseph and his wife Croyance come into the story. It seems that one morning the couple appeared with a group of men and women who supposedly lived up in the mountains. These folks were then put to work, and Ty and his wife got their bonus. The problem was, apparently these workers were recently buried dead people that Ty and Croyance had removed from their graves. These people never stopped working. Day after day, in the hot blazing sun, they never spoke, they hardly ate, and when they did, it was only unseasoned stews prepared specially by Croyance. One day, Croyance took these workers to a street festival, like a field trip, where she bought them various nuts and candies, forgetting the voodoo rule that if the undead taste salt or any kind of a nut, it might change things up. The workers ate the salty treats and immediately woke up from their trance, moaning and shuffling in a single file line back to their graves in the mountains. There's nothing like a coming home story to warm your heart. Except that Constant went on to tell Seabrook that families at the street fair recognized some of the workers to be deceased family members. And they weren't very appreciative of what Ty Joseph had done. And they did away with Ty in a fairly unfavorable way that I won't mention. So Seabrook was all like, what? You believe that? To which Constant Polonese replied, why shouldn't I believe it? I've seen zombies with my own eyes. A few days later, Constant arranged for a zombie meet and greet of sorts. The two rode on horseback for hours until they came upon a sugarcane field. The overseer at the field didn't approve of Seabrook being there, but Seabrook being Seabrook, he didn't care. Polonese ordered one of the workers to stand. Seabrook took the man's dangling limp hand, shook it, said hello, and stared in wonder. He went on to say in the book, The eyes were the worst. It was not my imagination. They were, in truth, like the eyes of a dead man, not blind, but staring, unfocused, unseeing. I had a sickening, almost panicky lapse in which I thought, or rather felt, Great God, maybe this stuff is really true, and if it is true, it is rather awful. The Magic Island went on to sell over a half million copies and created a zombie frenzy in Hollywood. Zombie movies would soon dominate American cinema. I should mention that Seabrook was labeled as a great traveler and terrible human. That's probably true, but I'll let you decide. A year later, a man named Garnett Weston read The Magic Island and turned it into a screenplay. 
the Halperin brothers, Victor and Edward, loved the screenplay so much they got to work on a movie they entitled White Zombie. Leila Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombie. White Zombie was released in 1932 and was about a young woman's transformation into a zombie at the hands of an evil voodoo master. The voodoo master was played by Bella Lugosi. Lugosi had appeared in over 50 movies before White Zombie, including what was possibly his most famous role of Dracula in 1931. Lugosi starred as the zombie master named Murder, with Madge Bellamy appearing as his victim. The poster for the movie read, With these zombie eyes, he rendered her powerless. With this zombie grip, he made her perform his every desire. The film didn't really portray zombies in the way Seabrook had, and although it made money, it was met with generally unfavorable reviews. Nevertheless, though, it introduced the idea of zombies to Western civilization. Thirty years later, a young filmmaker from the Bronx took the idea of zombies to the next level and laid the groundwork for how the genre would look and feel from then on. The man people refer to as the godfather of the undead and the father of the modern zombie film, George Romero, released Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Romero made the film on a budget of a little over $100,000. The thing grossed $30 million domestically and globally combined. It was an instant cult classic, despite of, or maybe because of, the criticism of its explicit gore. Night of the Living Dead told the tale of seven people trapped in a farmhouse with an ever-growing mass of undead surrounding them. Night of the Living Dead. A bizarre adventure in fear. An experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. Between 1978 and 2009, Romero directed five more films in the series, ramping up the gore each time as technology improved. In 1999, Night of the Living Dead was placed into the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Many critics found Romero's dead series of films to be much deeper in meaning in regards to social commentary. The unrest of the 60s, consumerism, science, the military, class warfare, it's really not unlike what the zombies in Haitian folklore might represent. A loss of cognition, consciousness, and free will. Or in simpler terms, slavery. Whatever zombies may represent, I love them. I wouldn't be mad if I woke up to a zombie outbreak. I've actually already got a little backpack just in case. I think that's part of it for me. Where would I go? What supplies would I need? So really, this last week has been the third big zombie moment for me. In learning about all this stuff, I've rediscovered why I like them so much, why they're important, the different things they represent to different people. Zombies may not be your thing, and maybe all those real-life zombie encounters can be explained away by something else. I hope, though, that you at least enjoyed learning a little bit more about how it all started. Heck, even the CDC believes a little bit. In 2012, around the time of the announcement of AMC's The Walking Dead, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention unveiled a page on its website devoted to zombie preparedness. 
It was so popular that the CDC's site crashed when it was launched. You can still visit it today and learn what you can do to help you and your family survive. There's even lesson plans for teachers. Good morning, agents. I have some bad news. Terrible news. You're going to have to work together as a team. And no, that's not the bad news. An increasing number of citizens in remote areas are disappearing. As more people disappear, the number of gruesome, unexplained deaths is increasing, especially at night. We've identified the perpetrators as difficult to kill, flesh-eating zombies. Unfortunately, the number of undead is rapidly increasing and the victims have been reappearing as perpetrators. Survivors are running scared and citizens are starting to panic. We're seeing a breakdown of peacekeeping and medical services throughout the nation. And key officials have been compromised. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to ensure your community is prepared for a zombie apocalypse. Your teacher has further information regarding the situation. Thank you, agents, and good luck. The next time your kid is blowing up zombies in Minecraft with TNT, or you binge watch a season of The Walking Dead, just take a moment and thank guys like William Seabrook, Bella Lugosi, the Halpern brother, George Romero. They made those things possible. I love finding out new things about subjects that I love. Thanks for coming along on the journey. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.